Greetings and welcome to the Wolverine Worldwide Inc.'s first quarter fiscal 2021 results call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce Brett Parent, Vice President of Investor Relations and Corporate Strategy. Thank you. You may begin. Good morning, and welcome to our first quarter 2021 conference call. On the call today are Blake Krieger, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Brendan Hoffman, our President, and Mike Stornett, our Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Earlier this morning, we announced our financial results for the first quarter 2021. The release is available on many news sites and can be viewed on our corporate website at wolverineworldwide.com. If you would prefer to have a copy of the news release sent to you directly, please call Allison Melkin at 203-682-8225. This morning's press release and comments made during today's earnings call include non-GAAP disclosures, which adjust, for example, for the impacts of environmental and other related costs net of cost recoveries, costs related to the COVID-19 pandemic, including air freight costs, credit loss expenses, severance expenses, and other related costs, and foreign exchange rate changes. These disclosures were reconciled in attached tables within the body of the release. I'd also like to remind you that statements describing the company's expectations plans, predictions, and projections, such as those regarding the company's outlook for fiscal year 2021 made during today's conference call, are forward-looking statements under U.S. securities laws. As a result, we must caution you that there are a number of factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in the forward-looking statements. These important risk factors are identified in the company's SEC filings and in our press releases. With that being said, I'd now like to turn the call over to Blake Krieger. Thanks, Brett. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I hope everyone on the call is safe and well. Earlier this morning, we reported first quarter revenue of approximately $511 million and adjusted earnings per share of 40 cents, a strong start to the year. E-commerce led the way, growing 84% during the quarter as our global digital strategy continued to deliver results. Our two largest brands exceeded expectations, with Merrill up nearly 25% year over year and Saucony up nearly 60% in the quarter. Both brands easily beat their 2019 Q1 revenue levels, with Saucony up over 75% versus 2019. The company's international business was up 40%, with every region growing over 35%. Our DTC channels are outpacing the market, and our wholesale order book is very healthy. As we look to the rest of the year, demand for our brands is very strong, and we've raised our full-year guidance on the strength of this demand and robust outlook. For today's call, I'll start by providing some additional insight on our Q1 performance 
and then Mike Stornett will detail our financial results and update you on our financial outlook for the year. Finally, Brendan Hoffman will share the latest on our strategic growth priorities before I conclude. In the first quarter, the Wolverine Michigan Group revenue was up 20.1% on a reported basis and up 18.2% on a constant currency basis. The Wolverine Boston Group revenue was up 10.3% on a reported basis and up 8.2% on a constant currency basis. Let me now focus on key brand performance, starting with Saucony. Saucony grew revenue nearly 60% and expanded operating margin nearly 800 basis points in Q1. A great start to what we anticipate will be a spectacular year for the brand. All regions delivered strong growth. Led by North America and EMA, Saucony.com revenue increased by over 150%, driven by compelling digital storytelling and impactful product launches. Product design and innovation remain at the core of Saucony's growth momentum, delivering both superior technical product and trend-right lifestyle collections to the global marketplace. The brand's road-running category nearly doubled in Q1 with the launch of new models for several of its biggest product franchises. The new Guide 14 and Convara 12 drove significant growth, with the Guide more than doubling year over year. New colors and collection packs also drove excellent growth and freshness for the innovative Endorphin series. Saucony also grew its trail running business with the launch of the Peregrine 11 which received the coveted Runner's World Editor's Choice Award. New product launches are fueling momentum in the brand's technical product category with existing runners and with the many new enthusiasts to the sport. Saucony Originals, the brand's heritage lifestyle sneaker business, also grew double digits in Q1. The brand continues to leverage its Italian product design and marketing hub to build on its pinnacle positioning and success in Europe with elevated trend right product. The new Jazz Court, a sneaker made with 100% natural materials and zero plastic, launched at the end of Q1, driving substantial buzz in social media and immediately becoming the brand's top selling product on Saucony.com. Looking ahead, Saucony will continue its steady introduction of new product launches. Both the new Ride 14 and Freedom 4 launched within the last few weeks and are off to a fast start. Over the next several months, the brand will also roll out the next generation of all three models of the Endorphin Collection, the Pro, the Speed, and the Shift, which has quickly become one of its largest franchises. The brand will also introduce the new Triumph 19, a follow-up to the award-winning predecessor. The momentum in the Saucony business continues to accelerate across both its performance and lifestyle offerings. Moving to Merrill, revenue grew nearly 25% in the quarter. All regions delivered increases, led by especially strong performance in EMA. North America grew double digits, including DTC, with Merrill.com up approximately 135% and Merrill stores comping up 30%. Merrill kicked off its Future 40 campaign at the start of the quarter, celebrating the brand's 40th anniversary 
and amplifying its inclusive commitment to sharing the power of the outdoors with everyone. The brand announced a significant partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, aiming to provide greater accessibility to the outdoors for nearly 200,000 youth. Merrill continues to focus on cultivating its well-established product franchises, as well as delivering innovation across new product introductions. In Q1, performance footwear grew by nearly 30% as the brand continued to advance its vision of faster and lighter footwear for the trail. Building on the unmatched success of the world's number one hiker, the Moab, Merrill launched the all-new Moab Speed and Moab Flight collections, quickly exceeding sell-through expectations, including selling out on Merrill.com, and helping to drive very strong double-digit growth for the Moab franchise overall. The Antora 2 and Nova 2 trail runners also continued to perform exceptionally well in the quarter. Merrill has a steady stream of new performance offerings scheduled for the remainder of the year. Merrill's lifestyle business grew approximately 20% in the quarter, driven by the growth of the classic Jungle Mock and newer Hydro Mock, which more than tripled year over year. The brand plans to continue to leverage the easy on off trend throughout 2021 with new products in the Hydro Mock, Hut Mock, and Jungle Mock franchises. Merrill is well positioned with both its outdoor performance and lifestyle businesses, and we expect the brand's growth will continue to accelerate going forward. Our work business, which represented almost 20% of our revenue in Q1, also delivered significant growth, led by Wolverine up nearly 30% and Cat Footwear up over 30%, with strong contributions from a couple of our smaller brands. We are the market share leader in the U.S. work boot category, which is currently trending with consumers and has been an important, consistent performer for the company over time. We expect growth in this category to accelerate in Q2. Turning now to Sperry, revenue was down approximately 10% in Q1, a continued sequential improvement compared to prior quarters. Despite more than $10 million of expected revenue, which slid into Q2. During the quarter, Sperry.com was up 40% and Sperry stores grew more than 20%. The brand's full price business remains very healthy with gross margin expanding nearly 500 basis points in Q1. Looking ahead, Sperry is back on the growth path for the remainder of the year. Sperry possesses unique elasticity across genders, product categories, and price points. Its new float collection, a fun and affordable injected version of the boat shoe for younger consumers, launched at the end of the quarter and quickly became Sperry.com's best-selling product introduction in several years. The brand expects to build on the success of the float throughout the year with seasonal drops, including the Cozy Float collection this fall. Sperry also plans to capitalize on the easy on off trend with the launch of the new Moxider collection later this summer and to drive energy through several product capsules leveraging fashion, entertainment, and pop culture icons, including collaborations with John Legend, Rebecca Minkoff, and the Netflix hit series Outer Banks, Good Humor Popsicle Ice Cream, and Rowing Blazers. 
Before Brendan and I share some additional insight regarding our strategic growth priorities, I'm going to hand it off to Mike to review the first quarter financial results in more detail. Mike. Thanks, Blake, and thanks to all of you for joining us. Let me start by providing additional detail on the company's first quarter performance and then some insight on our improved outlook for 2021. First quarter revenue of approximately $511 million represents growth of 16% compared to last year. As Blake pointed out, most elements of our global growth agenda delivered excellent year-over-year growth on the strength of expanding digital platforms and innovative product offerings. This strong growth performance was achieved despite a meaningful shift of customer shipments into the second quarter. Adjusted gross margin improved 290 basis points versus the prior year to 44.3% due to our continued e-commerce expansion and favorable wholesale product mix. Adjusted selling general and administrative expenses of $174.4 million in the quarter were about $23 million more than last year, primarily due to the higher mix of DTC revenue, $8 million of additional investment in digital e-commerce marketing, and more normalized incentive compensation costs. Q1 adjusted operating margin was 10.2%, an improvement of 330 basis points over last year as a result of healthy operating leverage. Net interest expense was up $1.9 million, and the effective tax rate was 16%. Adjusted diluted earnings per share were $0.40, compared to $0.28 in the prior year. Reported diluted earnings per share were $0.45 cents versus $0.16 cents last year and reflect a partial settlement of certain insurance claims related to our ongoing le legacy litigation, offset by legal defense costs and specific COVID-related costs. Let me now shift to the balance sheet. At the end of the quarter, inventory was down approximately 21% year-over-year. Year. Our global sourcing team continues to adjust to the supply chain headwinds impacting our industry. Our inventory position has improved nicely in the second quarter, allowing us to fill nearly all of the orders that slipped from Q1 into Q2. In Q1, we generated $26.3 million of cash flow from operating activities the company finished the quarter with $506 million less debt compared to the prior year and total liquidity of approximately $1.2 billion, including $365 million of cash on hand and nearly $800 million of revolver capacity. Our bank-defined leverage ratio continued to improve, ending the quarter at a low 1.5 times. I will now provide details on our improved outlook for 2021. As we have shared, the trends in our business remain very encouraging, with revenue assumptions improving since we offered our annual guidance in February. Our wholesale order book remains strong, 
our D2C business is performing well. International regions have returned to strong growth, and our inventory position continues to improve. All of this provides us with a heightened level of confidence as we manage the business and invest in future growth. As a result, the company now expects fiscal 2021 revenue in the range of $2.24 billion to $2.3 billion, growth of 25% to 28% compared to the prior year. At the high end of the range, this is a raise of $50 million from our original outlook and nicely exceeds 2019 revenue. We now expect reported diluted earnings per share in the range of $1.70 to $1.85 and adjusted diluted earnings per share in the range of $1.95 to $2.10. In the face of unpredictable near-term supply chain delays, the company will continue to invest in air freight to ensure our ability to service the very strong demand we are seeing in the business. These COVID-19 related air freight costs above normal levels are included in our updated guidance and will be adjusted from our reported results for the remainder of the year. The company is in an enviable position to invest in meaningful growth for 2021 and to continue to drive momentum in our brand. Before handing it over to Brendan, I would like to briefly thank our team, which continues to adapt to the fast-changing environment around us while delivering excellent results for our shareholders. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Brendan to share additional insight on our strategic growth drivers. Brendan? Thanks, Mike. As we emerge from the pandemic, the power and relevance of our brands is evident as we execute our global growth agenda across the portfolio. With roughly two-thirds of our business in running, outdoor, and work, our brands are well-positioned in the lifestyle and performance-oriented product categories favored by consumers and macro trends. In addition to the unique positioning of our brand portfolio, our global growth agenda is driving strong momentum through three key pillars. First, the brand's new product and marketing stories are resonating well with consumers, including Sperry's Float, Merrill's Moab Speed and Moab Flight, and Saucony's Guide 14, new endorphin collections, and several other new launches. Our brands are focused on developing big, innovative, and impactful product collections based on consumer insights, trend intel, and testing, and recent investments in our advanced concepts and innovation center of excellence are proving invaluable. Second, our ongoing investments in digital capabilities continues to fuel e-commerce growth, which is exceeding our expectations at this early stage in the year as we track towards our bold revenue goal of $500 million through our Brands.com in 2021. In Q1, we leverage increased digital marketing investments to drive more traffic, richer digital content and storytelling to engage consumers, better merchandising to optimize conversions, and additional testing and learning to improve site user experiences. These assets and investments are also helping drive the online business of our global distribution partners and wholesale customers. 
In the coming months, we anticipate integrating and launching several new innovations and technologies, including a Merrill mobile app. We are excited about the substantial runway that remains for our digital business. Finally, our international business has recovered quickly from last year's shutdown, with every region delivering very strong Q1 growth. As Blake mentioned, our Saucony Italy business and its product design and marketing hub are helping drive upper-tier distribution for our fastest-growing brand. Overall, EMEA continues to outperform, and the investments in our Merrill and Saucony JV targeting a significant opportunity for our two biggest brands are beginning to pay dividends. Our brands are well aligned with today's marketplace and consumer trends, and our global growth agenda is fueling our biggest and most profitable growth opportunities. I could not be more excited about 2021 and the future beyond. With that, I will turn it back over to Blake to conclude our remarks. Blake? Thanks, Brendan. Our strong start to the year is reflective of our intense focus on the consumer and our continued investments in talent, product design and innovation, digital, and consumer research and, in, and insight. The company drove meaningful growth in Q1, despite the impact from short-term industry logistic headwinds, and we are increasingly optimistic about the year ahead. Vaccination rollouts appear to be tracking well, consumer confidence continues to improve, and our demand outlook remains very strong. Our DTC business is performing well, and our wholesale order book continues to provide good visibility to accelerated growth for the year ahead. We are clear on our strategic priorities and enthused about the opportunities in front of us. The company's strong position is a testament to our team's tremendous vigilance, focus, and hard work over the last 15 months. Throughout this period, we focused on managing our brands for the post-COVID world and continued to invest. I'd like to close by thanking our team members for all of their efforts, enabling us to start fast in 2021, which I believe will prove to be a breakthrough year for the company. With that, I'll now turn a call back over to the operator. Operator. Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star two if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for your questions. Our first questions come from the line of Jonathan Comp with Baird. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Um, first question I had, I want to ask, when you look at the roughly $50 million increase in the full year revenue outlook, can you just give a little more color you know, the source of the upside, thinking, you know, across the brands. And then as you look forward, um, both in the second quarter, giving better inventory availability, but also in the back half, given the ability to chase demand, how, how you're thinking about the, the flow in terms of revenue growth as you, as you look forward here. Um, Jonathan, yeah, I would say that the upside for the year is pretty broad-based. It's a 
across all of our outdoor brands, our work brands, uh, Saucony in the running category. We expect um, a sparity return to growth for the rest of the year. Obviously, our e-commerce uh, business is performing extremely well, but the online businesses of our wholesale customers are also performing extremely well. And then uh, we continue to see momentum across international regions. It's a bit mixed, right? There's still some countries that are locked down a little bit, but the vaccines are working and economies are starting to open up. And I think our Q1 performance was just uh, reflective of our, our, our broad-based upside for the entire year. So it's not a single brand. It's not a single channel. It's not a single geographic region. It's really pretty broad-based. And then your second part yeah, of the question? The, the revenue flow by quarter, I mean, we saw a, a meaningful shift in, in revenue from Q1 to Q2, just in terms of some of these supply chain challenges that we saw. But we would expect each quarter here to see a sequential kind of improvement um, in terms of, of year over year growth for sure, but also even as we kind of consider performance against uh, 2019 as a baseline too. So um, it's, it's as, as much as it's broad-based across the portfolio, as Blake mentioned, I think we'll see a similar um, sort of benefit in terms of each quarter, uh, you know, getting an up, uh, seeing some upside each each of the quarters uh, ahead of us. Okay, just just to clarify, so revenue versus 2019 should improve year over year, or compared to 2019 should improve going forward, including second quarter. It sounds like. Right. Yeah, we were down okay, about great. two and a half percent. We were about two and a half percent down in Q1, so start to see that in each quarter. Okay, and would you expect Q2 to be up versus 2019, or just less? Well, we didn't give. We're, we're not. We're not given that that specific um, kind of direction on the quarter, um, other than you know, kind of to say that we we see it improving a bit versus how we performed in Q1. Okay, great. And then and then Mike, one follow-up question on the outlook. I, I know. Um, you didn't raise the the outlook for uh, net earnings on a gap basis. Is that that entirely because of the air freight, um, and, and maybe comment on the incremental marketing if, if that's a part of it? And uh, as, as a related question, just any any commentary on the profitability on the e-commerce business, uh, given the strength you're seeing on the on the top line. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, and I'll start with the last question. Our profitability on e-com has been really strong. We've been able to see some nice leverage. We talked about 84% growth in the first quarter, but even beyond that, really strong leverage on the earnings side year over year and even against our plan. So that continues to be robust. On the um, Just to jump in there, you know, I think one of the things we're seeing with Matt Blonder is our new head of digital just bringing new techniques and very quickly able to find ways to leverage our uh, our spend dollars, and so as we're getting the the, the top side revenue, we're seeing uh, good flow through, and uh, that's that's exciting for the balance of the year. I think your other question, John, was about um, you know the the adjusted results and the adjusting out of of air freight. I want to be clear on that. I mean, first of all, we don't have any other types of costs uh, considered in there. We have the the legacy. Uh, litigation costs that are going to continue to be in the um, adjustment like I could have they have been for the last couple of years but as it relates to COVID really what we're seeing is you know the supply chain interruption 
um, has really put us in a position to be a very much, very aggressive to chase the demand we have and, and, and put into our outlook at least some incremental um, air freight that, that we feel might be necessary to secure that demand. We still have a significant amount of air freight included in our adjusted uh, guidance. So this is not adjusting out all of the air freight, but just that we, we feel is extraordinary or you know, more directly related to the COVID situation. It's about you know, 15 to $20 million in, our, in, that, in that adjustment. Um, and and we'll, we'll monitor that. We obviously didn't spend that much in the, in the first quarter. Uh, and we're, we're hoping that we won't need all of that, but at the end of the day, wanted to provide for, for that in this outlook. Okay, that's very clear. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question has come from the line of Steve Morata with CL King. Please proceed with your question. Good morning, Blake, Brendan, and Mike. Mike, just amplifying on uh, one of your last answers, of course, it was mentioned in the uh, in the commentary, the $10 million is very slipped from Q1 into Q2. What's the consolidated amount of slippage from Q1 to Q2? I, um, th this is like Steve. I, I think um, it, uh, the headwinds were a little stronger than we anticipated three months ago when we last chatted. We, at that time, you recall, we, we thought there might be about $10 million $20 million of about $20 million in total of slippage uh, into Q2 from Q1. That turned out to be about $40 million um, for the quarter. It wasn't every brand, um, but it was kind of concentrated in some of our bigger brands. Uh, certainly had an impact, material impact on, on Sperry. As we look ahead, we see right now about the same amount of slippage from Q2 into Q3. Um, we see the supply chain and some of the logistics issues getting better uh, as we march through the year, uh, but we still see about the same level of slippage from uh, Q2 to Q3 as we experienced in Q1 to Q2, and that was about $40 million of top line. That's really helpful. Have you seen any regional variation domestically based on either vaccination rates or reopening activities? Anything that gives you a bit of a looking glass into what could be occurring in the balance of the country in six months from now, say? Actually, we, we try and follow that pretty closely, but to be honest with you, we saw broad-based demand across regions almost irrespective of where they were on uh, addressing COVID or vaccines or weather. Um, so whether it's uh, any of our outdoor categories, uh, certainly athletic, more athletic running categories or a work category, we saw, we saw pretty uh, strong demand. Our future uh, order book is also reflective of kind of that broad-based demand, both internationally and, and across uh, geographies here in the United States as well. That's very helpful. Thanks. I'll take the balance of my questions offline. Thank you again. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Our next questions come from the line of Jim Duffy with Steeple. Please proceed with your questions. Thanks. Good morning. Hope you guys are all doing well. Yep. Good morning, want, Jim. Hi, Jim. I wanted to start on the digital um, so the e-commerce growth rate for the quarter implies acceleration in digital 
in March relative to the quarter-to-date trends, uh, 60% you discussed late February. Has that digital strength continued thus far in the second quarter, and has it been broad-based across brands? Yeah, it, this is Brendan. I mean, it, it certainly continued, and it is broad-based, which is really exciting to see. Obviously, as we anniversary the uh, pandemic from last year, we knew the comps would change, but uh, right in line with our expectations, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, really pleased with uh, some of the new um, techniques and uh, tools we have with Matt Blonder coming on. The consulting project we mentioned last time, I think, is already starting to pay dividends with some quick wins. So very pleased with the momentum in our brands.com. And Blake mentioned also, also very pleased with what we're seeing from our wholesale.com as well. Great. And then uh, with respect to the international business, can you guys provide an update on the outlook for the international distributor markets? What's the state of distributor inventories at this point? Uh, you know, what's the time frame for when you're expecting the distributor business to, to turn back on? Yeah, I would say that um, it really varies quite a bit country by country. And um, right now we're seeing broad-based lift across international markets and and regions, including Latin America. EMA for us, as you know, Jim, has been especially strong here over the last couple of years, and that strength has has continued. Um, Asia Pacific, uh, again, it varies kind of widely by country, but we're seeing increased demand, and it's across the same macro trends that we're experiencing here in the United States, the outdoors, more athletic, at-home, comfy footwear, uh, work footwear. So um, um, we have individual countries that are still under some pretty severe lockdowns. They've taken a very stringent approach to uh, COVID, probably to their credit. But um, the uh, international business, we expect to be very good this year and, frankly, approach or exceed 2019 levels. Great. Thank you. I think the other part of your question, Jim, was about inventories, too. I think that in line with that improving performance, we're seeing the, the inventories get more, you know, back in line, and we have a couple of markets where, where it's a little more problematic, but overall, just a positive outlook there, and, and, and obviously the international business is part of our, our improved uh, revenue outlook for the year. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next questions come from the line of Aaron Murphy with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question. Great, thanks, good morning. Um, just a couple of questions. First on um, the first quarter, how much do you think stimulus benefited your results and is that continuing in the quarter to date period um, from a you know demand perspective? And then how are North American retailers ordering for the second half? Yeah, I would say on the stimulus side, I think it, it certainly had an impact on consumer soft goods in general, probably on footwear as, as well. You know, as a company, we're certainly benefiting from our, you know, two-thirds, about two-thirds of our portfolio of brands being in some of the, uh, the hottest categories for the consumers. So um, we see that strength, frankly, and we saw that kind of, demand strength with or without the stimulus checks, but when you're pouring trillions of dollars into an economy, obviously that level of stimulus is going to raise all boats. And then um, 
And then when, I, when we look at future demand as well, we see that strong from uh, not just our own DTC side, but we see strong demand from, um, from across our, our wholesale customers for both their online business and traditional brick and mortar business. Probably um, the strongest demand I've ever seen in my career Probably um, a significant increases not just over 2020 but over 2019. So, uh, from our standpoint, that gives us pretty good future insight into what to expect, and uh, it's very encouraging. And I think the other thing to add on to that, Aaron, is uh, some major brands pulling back from uh, from wholesalers has provided us a window to take advantage of uh, additional shelf space. Got it. No, that's very helpful. And then just a couple for, for Mike, if I may. Um, just going back to your comments on the revenue slippage from Q, obviously Q1 to Q2, Q2 to Q3. So if we take that together with the guide raised this morning, should I be interpreting that we won't really see 2019 levels until in, in the revenue until Q4? You start to see some of that in Q3. And then I guess just a clarification on air freight. What was it last year, just so that we have some comparability since I believe it was included in the results last year? Thanks. Sure. Yeah. On the air freight question, last year I think it was about seven, between seven and eight million dollars. And, and we kind of look back over the last few years, what's a normal year for us? And there are always reasons you have to use air freight as a solution. So that's a normal level. We've got $10 million included in the adjusted results here, so even higher than a normal level. And then you know that the outlook for what might be considered extraordinary or COVID-related would be in that you know kind of additional 15 million or to 20 million dollar range. So um, th that's really uh, the reason we're we're treating it this way, Aaron, is because we think it's certainly a more normalized way to look at uh, the cost structure. The the the, the question about uh, revenue by quarter. Uh, this is not a back half or even you know. Um, uh, Certainly not a Q4 weighted uh, outlook for the business. Uh, Blake mentioned sl similar slippage, or at least um, in our in our way of planning the business right now, a similar amount of slippage from Q2 into Q3. Even with that, we expect Q2 to be um, you know, closer to uh, 2019 levels than Q1 was. Great, thank you both. Thank you. Our next questions come from the line of Mitch Cummins with Pivotal Research. Please proceed with your questions. Uh, yes, thanks for taking my questions. I've got a few. Um, so, uh, Mike, just doing some math on the first quarter. So it sounds like the slippage was 40 million. The plan was 20. So, is it fair to say that you know if I kind of adjust for that, you know, the revenues would have been like 531 versus 511? Um, is that the right way to think about kind of the moving yeah. parts there? Right, there were some nice, some nice uh, at once performance in some of our brands. Our econ business um, outperformed our, our expectations, as we mentioned. Um, certainly, as we progress through the quarter, so yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it, Mitch. Okay, and then on on the gross margin, uh, which was up nearly 300 bips year over year, could you just quantify some of the bigger puts and takes there? You know, what was the benefit? I assume you had a benefit from channel mix. How much was that? And then any comments about sort of off-price closeouts this year versus last? Yeah, very clean inventories help, right? We've, we're, we're coming in 
to the year and, and, and in even the second quarter with extremely low closeout positions and in our, in our brands. Um, the promotional cadence was very low. I mean, our, our full price business was solid in the quarter and continues to be the case as demand is kind of outpacing our ability to, you know, necessarily chase the business in the in the first four months of the year. So that's really helped drive our margins up. And then, obviously, the the mix in e-commerce and our store growth um, has helped too. So it's really all of those factors. Uh, the mix is probably the biggest component of that, but you know. I think overall, as you know, our e-commerce business up 84% is also driving nice leverage on the bottom line as well as a, an incremental operating margin performance, too. Yep. And then lastly, just any comments on um, on sandals? I mean, I, specifically, I'm curious, you know, how the Chaco business did. I'd, I'd be surprised if the order book was great going into the quarter, just given that sandals were a challenged category last year. But... I guess what we're hearing is that sandals have been doing doing better, and I'm kind of curious how Chaka is selling through. So, any, anything there would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, we we would agree with those uh, general consumer uh, views. Sandals um, seem to be doing well, and uh, water shoes across any number of our outdoor brands. Uh, Chaco has strong demand at the moment. Probably, frankly, we wish Chaco had some more inventory. <laughs> If I could, if I could have a wish, uh, Chaco would have some more inventory at the present time. But uh, we've taken action, corrective action there, and, and our inflows should be improving substantially. So, again, we see demand, but not just across sandals or more open footwear, but demand across basically almost any category in outdoor, athletic, or run. Okay. Thanks. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. Our next questions come from the line of Jay Soul with UBS. Please proceed with your questions. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to follow up on some of the gross margin commentary. Uh, you know, you mentioned gross margins up about over 200 bips versus 2019. It's benefiting from, you know, mixed e-commerce and product. As we think about the rest of the year and your guidance for the full year, um, do you expect that kind of gross margin improvement versus 2019 to continue, or do you see some of these mix and product shifts and price realization benefits that you have as, as more one time that sort of normalizes over the rest of the year and then, you know, as we get into 4Q? Yeah, our full-year outlook's really strong, um, and I think those 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 tailwinds and benefits are going to continue through throughout the year. There's obviously um, plenty of, of uh, information out there about, higher input costs and, and inflationary pressures that, that are going to start to impact our industry. Higher freight costs have already started to to impact our results. And, you know, and I should mention that included in our, our Q1 result and our full-year outlook, we've, we've incorporated much higher ocean freight rates, the uh, the air freight that we talked about and some other supply chain-related costs that are, you know, working against us. But we're overcoming that just with, with a cleaner business and, and higher going margins. So, we expect that to continue as we start to think about next year. You know, we'll provide more in, in, insight into how um, some of those input costs might start to impact the business. Um, but for, for now, given the fact that we've locked in uh, our pricing and our production for all of this year, we're, we're confident in the margin that we're, we're looking at. Got it. And then, Mike, if I can follow up on that, um, you know, the SGNA for Q1 was up about $15 million versus 2019. Um, you know, and you mentioned that the e-commerce business is accretive. So can you just sort of help us understand what's driving the dollar growth over 2019, and will that trend continue over the rest of the year? Is that something that's implied in the guidance? 
Thank you. It is, and it, it is mostly related to that shift mix that uh, that mix shift that we're talking about with our D to C businesses, both e-com and stores, right? We operate with a much higher overhead or SG&A component, um, but they are accretive to to the to the business overall. And so, what you're seeing is at the same time as gross margins uh, expand, you know, you're seeing an increase in SG&A expense as a percent of revenue. We've also got normalized incentive compensation costs in these numbers. 2019 was relatively low in that regard, too, so there's some some impact from that. But most of it's the shift in the business, and we continue to be really efficient, and, and with some of the changes we made last year, lowering our travel costs, reducing our, our costs around global brand conferences and things like that, those are still you know in play for 2021. Um, COVID's still having an impact on, on our ability to, to, to you know, travel and do those things. So there's some good benefits coming through from that as well. Got it. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Our next question has come from the line of Sam Poser with Susquehanna. Please proceed with your question. Well, it's not Susquehanna anymore. It's William Trading, <laughs> but good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. I got a couple uh, well, I got a handful of questions. Number one, can you give us the specifics uh, on Sperry and Merrill versus 19 that you gave bid for Saucony and, and, and can you give us the specifics for, for, for Merrill and Sperry for 19? Yeah, I would, yeah, I can give you a little more color on that. Uh, Merrill would have been up uh, virtually about double digits against 2019. Sperry would have still been down uh, double digits against 2019, higher than its uh, uh, than its uh, uh, decrease in Q1. Uh, we see that uh, we see the trend going forward. Q quarters two, three, and four for Sperry improving significantly, and frankly, we see momentum also uh, increasing for Merrill. Right. And do you foresee the second quarter for the Boston Group? I mean, primarily Sperry here. Do you, do you foresee that you can get to, in the Boston group, get to 2019 levels, or is that still going to be below? Um, I I don't have that forecast. We usually don't, as Sam, give that level of detail, but I don't have that forecast in front of me right now. Certainly, it'll be an improvement over uh, what you saw in Q1. And you know, and you know Sam, Saucony, did extremely well in the first quarter, and Saucony's outlook for the rest of the year remains really strong. So that'll, that'll help boost the, the Boston Group and Sperry. We already said will 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 return to growth uh, for the rest of the year. So yeah, we we expect an improvement there, certainly um, gotcha. as it relates uh, the shift from Q1 to Q2. Thank you. And then um, I've got a few more. Uh, did Q1 beat? I mean, Mitch sort of answered the question, but did Q1 beat? Your internal plan. How much? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I I think that was a fair question for Mitch and stuff. Yeah, uh, clearly, um, we had more slippage into Q2 than we anticipated. Maybe around a, a, an incremental 20 million dollars, and so uh, we feel really great about our Q1 performance and our outlook. Obviously, we're we're very bullish right now, but um, Q1 we certainly beat our internal. Um, expectations uh, as of versus three months ago. Given how much slipped, if if you if you if you had right. asked, knew that I twenty mean, million it, more it, would slip, you 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 would have thought you wouldn't have done as well. Is, 
Right, and, and you know, as just one example, Sperry would have had a, a revenue increase in Q1, but for the slippage. It just happened to be one of those brands that experienced, experienced some of the logistic headwinds, unfortunately, uh, um, a little bit more so than some of our other brands, as one example. So with the Q1 was a strong start to the year. Thank you. And then lastly, uh, Mike, what, what is the tax rate and interest expense you're anticipating for the full year? Well, the tax rate's still right around 20%, which is consistent with our, our original guidance. Um, and then net, net interest and other expenses is about $45 million. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Continued success. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Our next questions come from the line of Susan Anderson with B. Riley. Please proceed with your questions. Hi, good morning. Nice job on the quarter and managing through the pandemic. Um, I was wondering if maybe you give a little bit more color on what you're expecting for product costs as we look in the back half in 2022. I guess are you expecting commodity costs to be up in the back half, or is that more of a 2022 time frame? And is, are there any plans to raise prices or anything to offset that? Yeah, let me uh, just give you some background. I think we've come, at least from my experience, through an, an unbelievable eight, eight or so seasons of price stability or deflation even uh, in, in the input cost for, for footwear. Uh, certainly rubber, cotton, leather, some other components, we see the, uh, the, the price increases happening uh, in those areas. We do expect some product cost increases and logistic supply chain cost increases starting to flow through in the back half of the year. We plan for that. When we, um, when we look ahead, we, we expect um, uh, product input costs maybe for the spring-summer 2022 season to be up uh, low single digits. Uh, it might be a little bit more than that, uh, more than that in fall winter of 2022. Uh, certainly for this year, we factored all of those in um, to our thinking when it comes to pricing. When it comes to pricing, we've been here many times before. The industry's been here many times before. I would say, um, obviously, we're going to negotiate with the, the factories on any increases. Uh, we're going to look for other savings or uh, to offset some of the increases we're going to everyone is going to see in the supply chain. Um, we also re-engineer product product that's a constant ongoing um, um, lever that we're we're always working on. And then if we have to, we're going to take some selective uh, price increases. We frankly think the consumer right now is expecting it. Uh, there wasn't a lot of pushback to the industry. Uh, price increases that were pushed through when we had uh, uh, directly tied to tariffs of the last uh, 18 months or so, two years. So we think the consumer is, is poised uh, to expect some pro product price increases. But, you know, as we approach this, it's very selective for us. It's different within each brand. Um, uh, our brands do it on a selective basis. Um, uh, new product versus carryover products. So we ha we have a pretty strategic approach to, um, but I would anticipate uh, with almost everything else some uh, price increases coming here, especially starting probably with the spring, uh, summer uh, 2022 season, 
and uh, for the remainder of next year. Okay, great. That's very helpful. Thanks for all the detail. And then also um, on the DTC business, just curious how you're thinking about the rest of the year as we start to go up against much tougher comparators. Are you expecting um, that penetration to come down at all, or are you expecting it to stay similar to last year? And, you know, if we do see kind of a move more back into the stores, and I guess I would mean wholesale, how, how should we think about that mixed shift impact on the margins? Well, I mean, I think as, as we've been saying, we're, we're quite thrilled with the way our DTC business is, uh, uh, is cadencing throughout the year. I mean, really interesting to see, as you kind of just described, the store business, how it's bounced back um, in terms of our own stores with Saucony and Sperry, mostly outlets. Uh, traffic's still down, but conversion way up. Um, you know, this is the toughest comp period for e-commerce, obviously, because the stores were closed last year. But as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're really pleased with the way we're um, – Comping against our forecast and and see the um, you know the growth continuing into the back half of the year and the penetration rising as we hit our 500 million dollar uh, overall goal. We also continue to have a robust business with the digital titans, especially Amazon and Zappos, and we see that continuing to increase. So, uh, feeling very bullish on um, uh, the digital channel and our DTC in general. And Susan, just to okay, add to great. that. I mean, we, we expect our D2C business to be over 25% of uh, total revenue this year, which would be up slightly from last year. Great. Okay, that's very helpful. Thanks so much. Good luck the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question has come from the line of Lorenz Vasilescu with XAN BNP. Please proceed with your question. Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, and thank you, Mike, for all the color on this. $40 million slippage into 2Q and then into 3Q. Uh, you know, I think the market un well understands that there was slippage into uh, into 2Q, but I, I don't think they necessarily expected that there's slippage into 3Q. Is this company-specific or industry-wide? And can you provide a little bit more color on where the bottleneck is, considering I think you talked about improved inventory levels? Is it in Asia, the West Coast, any other factors we should consider? Well, I, I I can't speak for the rest of the industry, but I, I have a lot of friends scattered around the industry. I would say um, uh, the logistics delays, uh, maybe for some companies, com capacity constraints uh, certainly cause some slippage into quarters. It's not going to improve back to complete normal overnight. So for us personally, we see that continuing some between Q2 and Q3, but improving throughout the rest of the year. Um, and it was tied to just um, incredible demand. I mean, it could be port congestion. It could be congestion and a lockup at the Chicago rail yards. It could be the lack of uh, trucking internally, domestically. So there were any number of um, COVID-related uh, logistics challenges that not just our industry, but consumer soft goods and other industries faced in Q1. They're going to face some of that same, some of those same challenges in Q2 and Q3. But it's going to improve, or at least our outlook is for it to improve considerably as the year progresses. Okay, that's helpful. And then um, switching to Sperry, uh, tying back to one of Sam's questions. Uh, last quarter, you know, I think it was called out that Sperry would return to double-digit growth. But this time, as I'm listening to the call, I, I don't, I didn't hear the word double digits. So I just want to just 
double check on um, are we expecting double digit growth for this year and should it be in the range of 10 to 20 percent 20 to 30 or, or even higher any guardrails would be really helpful yeah we we try not to get that specific but certainly we're expecting Sperry to have double digit growth for the year okay and okay, a strong and a strong q2 uh, for sure fantastic okay and then um um, with regards to Merrill, um, last quarter, you, know, you, you did give specific guidance for the first quarter. I think you said it was 20% growth, which I think, to your point, you know, is on a two-year stack, it's about 10% growth. I, any specifics you can give on, on Merrill growth for QQ um, on, on a two-year stack? Um, not really, uh, again, at that kind of uh, specifics. I would just say that, you know, Merrill's one of our brands right now that's kind of firing on all cylinders, right? Their performance biz business is on fire. Their lifestyle business is on fire. Trail running business is trending extremely strong. Uh, their easy on, easy off uh, uh, product offerings uh, are responding, uh, the consumer's responding well to the product and, and that macro consumer trend. Um, certainly, uh, you know, just as one example, their Google search is up a very strong double digit. So, um, you know, Merrill right now has uh, a lot of tailwind. And we're seeing it across all the platforms, our own e-commerce, our wholesalers, and, and globally. So to Blake's point, it's, it's, it's universal. I think, Laurent, you, you're, you're, um, you're asking the right questions about Q2, and a lot of questions about Q2 have come up. You know, we gave some cautious kind of view about some slippage into Q3, but frankly, the demand we have right now for the categories, especially the categories that are performing best and really across the business is tremendous for Q2. You know, we still have to be, you know, careful about some of these supply chain uh, issues that are unpredictable, good or bad, and, and frankly, in Q1, they were a little worse than we expected. So we're being a little cautious about that, which is why you're not hearing us give too much detail about Q2. but. I will say the, the demand in the business for Merrill, Saucony, our work business, and, and really across the brands um, is incredibly strong. Uh, I think, like mentioned, maybe the strongest we've seen in, in quite some time. That's great to hear. Thank you very much for, for all your help. Thank you. That is all the time we have for today's call. I would like to turn the call back over to management for any closing remarks. On behalf of Wolverine Worldwide, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. As a reminder, our conference call replay is available on our website at wolverineworldwide.com. The replay will be available until June 12, 2021. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you for your participation. This does conclude today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Have a great day.